looking back to the cross, but both is pointing to Christ and the thread that runs through. And I want to look at that thread all the way through the book of Exodus. Because a lot of times we'll study an Old Testament verse, and especially in the Old Testament, it's not in chronological order. So a lot of times we study it and we're, we're just not taken in context. And I, I think sometimes we're not getting everything out of it that God wants us to get. The thing I enjoy about a verse-by-verse study through, the, through a book as well is this. A lot of times, and, and I'm guilty of this as a preacher, a lot of times we can go to a book of the Bible and we can read a couple verses, preach a message from those verses, and really not understand the content because we're not necessarily studying it in its content. We're just studying it for you know, the surface of what we get out of those, out of those few verses. And so in this study, I want to build each week upon the chapter that we looked at or the two chapters at times that we'll be able to get through and um, build week after week upon those things. So you've got a handout that, that you'll have each week that you can follow along. And um, as we look, Exodus chapter number one, if you'll go there with me, and we're also going to uh, be in a couple places in Genesis. And um, so I may have some of you some of you read that you're interested. I won't call anybody because I don't want to embarrass anybody. But if you're willing to read, um, just just help me out and um, uh, jump on that when I when I ask for that. In the handout that you have, we find this in the book of Exodus. We find the purpose. The purpose of the book of Exodus, when we study Exodus, what we find is it's a record, um, it's to record the events of Israel's deliverance from Egypt and the development as a nation. Now, remembering this, when we, when we think of Israel, we think of Israel today, a nation. Israel at this point has not been a nation. What Israel really is, is just a promise right now. When we look at the book of Exodus, it's, it's a promise that God is going to take Abraham and make him a great and mighty nation. But they don't, they don't even know, they don't even have a, a government. They don't have a system. They don't have laws. What Israel simply is, is a big family. It's all they are with a promise attached to them from God that they're going to, he's going to make that family a great and mighty nation and the kings are going to come out of that family. But at this point in the study, they know the promise is true, but they've not yet seen it fulfilled. We have the privilege to look back as we study the Bible. We have the privilege to look back and see these things and, and have a bigger picture, but put yourself where they are. Okay, they um, they are in a land. They're going to find through this book the deliverance from Egypt, from bondage, and then to develop how this nation of Israel begins to develop. The author is is Moses. We believe uh, um, he wrote this obviously in the times of Israel's wanderings and at the some somewhere someplace in in the uh, Sinai Peninsula. How we know that is this. He had to have written it after the deliverance of Egypt, and he had to he had to have finished it before his death. Moses never made it into the promised land. So this book was one that was written in the wilderness during that 40-year period um, by Moses. There's key people in, in, in this book that we're going to study all the way through that we'll see their name often. Moses. Moses, everyone knows him, right? He was the guy that was a basket case. Uh, Miriam. Who's Miriam? He is, he's Moses' sister, and we find uh, she played a key role in Moses from the beginning, 
and then throughout, um, throughout his ministry as well, Pharaoh, Pharaoh's daughter, Jethro, Aaron, Joshua, and Bezalel. And, and we'll learn these are, these are all names of people that we're going to study through and see how they fit here in this book. There's key places, Egypt, Goshen, the Nile River, Midian, the Red Sea, Sinai uh, Peninsula, and the Mount Sinai. And so we're going to find... We're going to find each of these uh, um, in in uh, these places here throughout this book as we study. All right. So the the opening verse. If you look with me in Exodus chapter number one, we find this. Now these are the names of the children of Israel which came into Egypt. Every man his household came with Jacob. Jacob being obviously the descendant from Abraham. So Jacob has handed down this promise, this Abrahamic covenant by God that he is going to make Abraham a great and mighty nation. Jacob is the descendant then from Abraham that has these boys that sold their brother into slavery because they were jealous. And we know the story, and I won't go into to all that story because I'm sure everyone here understands that. But Gen, uh, Exodus chapter 1, it's, it's opening verse, it connects directly to the book of Genesis. So we can go right from Genesis, last verse in Genesis, right to the first verse in Exodus. And so we can find this is in chronological order uh, uh, as we are studying through right from Genesis into Exodus. The first half of this book, it focuses on Israel's departure from Egypt. The second half of this book, it covers the events at Mount Sinai. So there's two, if you were to divide the book of Exodus, you would divide it into two sections, departure from Egypt, and then all the events that happen at Mount Sinai. And a lot of events, we'll get there in the weeks to come, a lot of events take place there at Mount Sinai that that God gives to Israel to set the foundation for the nation that he is um, going to create. In Genesis chapter number 12, if you'd go there with me, Genesis chapter number 12, Genesis chapter number 12 and verse number 2, Genesis 12, verse number 2, remember these verses, the Lord says this, and I will make of thee a great nation, and I will bless thee and make thy name great, and thou shalt be a blessing, and I will bless them that bless thee, and look what he says here, I will curse him that curseth thee. And in these shall all the families of the earth be blessed. This is the promise that God gave to Abraham. He said to Abraham, if you take this promise, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to multiply your seed. Not only am I going to bless you, I am going to bless other nations that bless you. And I'm going to curse other nations that curse you. And so this, this promise that's given to Abraham, we're going to see that promise now begin to unfold here in the book of Exodus. And so God made his covenant with Abraham, promising to make him this great nation. Why, why were the Israelites in Egypt? Just simply, simple, simple answer to that question. Number one, they were there because Joseph was sold and into slavery, and he gained favor with Pharaoh. That's why they're there. But God is into doing something even deeper than that. Remember what Joseph said, the end of Genesis. He said this, what you, speaking to his brothers, what you meant for evil, God is going to do something good or God meant for good. And so what they thought they were going to do to hurt was all a part, a part of God's plan. 
Remember, God gave this blessing to Abraham. In God, his word is true. In his, his word is going to always be true. And so at times in life, when things don't go the way that we think they ought to be going, we've got to understand that God's ways are different than our ways. And we might think that this would be the best plan for our life, but God always is orchestrating the life of his children. All right? And so here we find that happening. We see the promise. We find out the reason why they're here in Egypt. It's not by mistake. It's not by accident. It's by God's plan. And then so secondly, number one, Joseph was sold there. He gained favor with Pharaoh. And then secondly, there was a famine in the land. And, and, and Jacob moves his entire family from, from Canaan to Egypt. Now, this is interesting. If you were to study how many people came into Egypt, what we find is this. The Bible tells us Jacob brought 70 of his own family into Egypt. Is Israel a great and mighty nation? The beginning of uh, uh, when, when they come into Egypt? There's 70 people. When Israel left Egypt, the Bible, and we're going to see this this evening as well, the Bible says this, there were 600,000 men plus women and children. Now they're getting to be a, a big nation. It's, it's said, you know, in those days, the families, there was large families. If you just simply had one man and one, one lady to every man, that's a million too. If they then had two children, that's 2.4 million people from 70. What God did, what God did in Egypt is God began to fulfill the promise he gave to Abraham. He said to Abraham, I'm going to make you a great and mighty nation. Those that bless you, I'm going to bless. Those that curse you, I'm going to curse. We find this, what happened to Egypt when they were being brought out of Egypt? Egypt was, I mean, their firstborn was killed. Their cattle was hurt. I mean, their, their, their sea turned to blood. Pharaoh was killed and all of his army. God kept his promise throughout this book. And as we study this book, what we need to make sure that we realize in application is God keeps his promise. Even when circumstances don't look like he's keeping his promise. They go in with 70, they walk out 2.4 million people. We were at the um, we were at the Reds or the Mud Hens game the other night, and and they told me that that Mud Hens there that seats between eight and nine thousand people. I don't know if that was true or not, but that's what they say. And so, two million people, you would have to fill that ballpark up two hundred and fifty times. Seventy would fit in one of these sections. What they left with was two hundred and fifty Mud Hens games. <laughs> That's a lot of people. That's what God does. He fulfills his promise. And so what we find in Genesis chapter number 35, verse number 11, look, look there with me. This, is, this pretty much sets the tone here for our thoughts this evening. Genesis chapter number 35. We saw God give his promise to Abraham. It's called the Abrahamic covenant. God says to him, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to multiply you. I'm going to bless nations that bless you. I'm going to curse nations that curse you. We find then in Genesis chapter number 35, 
In verse number 11, and God said unto him, speaking of Jacob now at Bethel, God speaking to Jacob, he says this, and God said unto him, I am God Almighty, be fruitful and multiply. A nation and a company of nations shall be of thee, and kings shall come out of thy loins. He tells Jacob, and this is important, I want you to write this down somewhere in your notes. He tells Jacob to be fruitful and multiply. Now, would you say that would be a command or a suggestion by God? To command by God. He says to him, this is what I want you to do. Now, what's interesting, where was Jacob, where did Jacob become fruitful and multiply? Now, remember what I said, this is a trick question. Remember I said they went in with 70 and they left with 2.4 million people. Where was it that they became fruitful and multiplied? In Egypt, not in the land that God promised Abraham. They were obedient in bondage. This is important. This is this. We're going to develop this thought this here this evening. Okay, in Exodus chapter number twelve. Turn there with me. Exodus chapter number twelve. The Israelites are driven from Egypt. Okay, the Passover is instituted, and now Israel is getting ready to leave Egypt. Exodus chapter number twelve, in verse number thirty-seven. And the children of Israel journeyed from Ramses to Succoth, about 600,000 on foot that were men besides children. So we find 70 go in and millions are going to come out. God said to Jacob, I want you to be fruitful and I want you to multiply. Jacob's seed was obedient even in a circumstance that many would say is impossible to be obedient in. How many of you would say this? Pharaoh is getting ready to kill the babies. That probably wouldn't be a time where a husband and wife would say, let's have a child. Right? I mean, if you're going to have a child, it's probably not when Pharaoh said, I'm going to kill all the boys. They weren't able to, to have ultrasounds and to know the, the gender of the baby before the baby was born. And so what Pharaoh said is when the baby's born at birth, if it's a boy, kill it. So here's a mother for nine months is carrying this child in fear because if it's a boy, it's dead. The day it's born, the minute she sees him. And what, what does the seed of Jacob continue to do? Continue to have children. They're obedient even in the face of danger, even in the face of death, even in the face of a bondage situation. They find themselves obedient. It's interesting. I, as I see that this evening, I just think, how wonderful that thought is. Redemption. Redemption is one of the greatest themes that we'll find in Scripture. And redemption is what one of the greatest themes that we're going to find here through the book of Exodus as well. The, as the Redeemer, God came to Israel. He rescued them, he protected them, and he restored them. And that's what God is after. God is after rescuing mankind. Mankind fell because of sin. And God's purpose is to restore mankind back to him in fellowship. 
for the purpose to worship him. We find that truth seen right here in the book of Exodus. And if you have your notes there, I want you to see with me, number one is this, the need for redemption. The need for redemption. In verses 8 through 22, we find four reasons Israel needed redemption. Israel is in a place of bondage. In verse number 1, Exodus, if you're with me in Exodus chapter number 1, and we're going to be here in verse number 8 of Exodus chapter number 1, we find now there arose up a new king over Egypt, which knew not Joseph. And he said unto his people, Behold, the people of, children of, uh, the, the people of the children of Israel are more and mightier than we. Come on, let us deal wisely with them, lest they multiply and come to pass that when there falleth out any war, they join also unto our enemies and fight against us, and so get them up out of the land. Therefore they did set over them taskmasters to afflict them with their burdens, and they built for Pharaoh treasured cities, Python and Ramses. And so we find this, there's a political slavery that's taken place here with the children of Israel. The first reason, there's four reasons that we're going to study here in chapter number one. There's a need for redemption. The first one is simply this. There's a political slavery. There was a, there was a king, a pharaoh that arose that didn't know Joseph. Joseph meant nothing to him. He didn't care about the fact that Joseph saved Israel uh, and his, his, in Egypt. He didn't care what Joseph did to help the previous pharaohs. What he was concerned with was this. There is a large number. And a matter of fact, what he said was this. They are greater than we are. Now, this is the first thing we see with obedience here in, in Exodus chapter number one. The children of Jacob, the children of Abraham, uh, Israel, they are not in the land that they are promised, but we find that they're obedient to God. And because of their obedience, we find God blessing them. You say, how is God blessing them when they're not in their own land? They're in bondage. It doesn't look like God's blessing them when Pharaoh says, I'm going to take a taskmaster and I'm going to put a taskmaster over them and they're going to carry burdens and they're going to build these great cities. They're going to, they're going to become slaves to us. But what you find, you find God's blessing because what we find is they become greater than even the people that they're in their land. God is fulfilling his promise. Remember he said, I'm going to make you a great and mighty nation. He is making them that great nation. He is, he is promised to do something. And even though, even though there is political slavery going on now, we find that God is fulfilling his promise. God doesn't need our circumstances to be in line for him to supply what he's promised. He's going to supply what he's after is obedience. And so even though there's political slavery, they're obedient. The need for redemption, number one, is political slavery. They had not known Joseph. In verse number 10 of that of chapter one, he said this, let's deal with them wisely. When he says wisely, he doesn't mean fairly. What he means is wisely, meaning this, let's not them get to get more powerful than us. Let's put our thumb on them. What they did at this point, he didn't start killing the babies yet. What he started doing at this point, what he said is this, I'm going to put them under greater affliction. Because obviously God's blessing them. And so I know what I'll do. I will make their burden even greater than it was. 
And so look with me in verse number 11. Therefore they did set over them taskmasters to afflict them. In verse number 12, but the more they afflicted them, the more they multiplied and grew. You see that? And they were grieved because of the children of Israel. Pharaoh couldn't do anything to stop what God said he was going to bless. And this thought here came to my mind as I was studying this. When God's people are obedient, outside circumstances can't hinder us from God's blessing. When we don't see the blessings that God's promised, it's not, it's not because of outside circumstances, it's because of lack of our obedience. God doesn't say follow these principles as long as all the circumstances are going right. What God says is this, follow this principle no matter what's going on and I'll bless you in that. And so what we have here is the children of Israel are in bondage. Not only are they in a foreign land, now they put affliction on them and that didn't work. And now there's even greater affliction on them and they just kept growing. They didn't just grow because they were having babies. They were growing because of God's blessing. Because remember, it was God that said, be fruitful and multiply, and I will make of you a great and mighty nation. God, because of their obedience, in a place that didn't seem like it was a place to be obedient, God was turning the whole thing around, and he was performing his will in a place you never would have thought it would have happened. And a lot of times what happens is that's the place we grow closest to God is when there's affliction and we stay obedient in those trials. And so they had, they had no political freedom. As they were growing, as they were outnumbering, outnumbering Egypt, we don't even find that they had a say. It sounds like the minority was becoming the majority, and the minority then wanted to keep them down. And Israel had no say in it. So not only was there a political Slavery. Secondly, there was economic slavery. In verse number 13, and the Egyptians made the children of Israel to serve them with rigor. And they made their lives bitter with hard bondage, in mortar and in brick and in all manner of service in the field. And all their service, wherein they made their serve, was with rigor. What he was saying was this. They were the catalyst that made Egypt get her work done. It was on the backs of Israel. They said, all the construction and all the field labor, all the manual labor, we're going to show these people. We're going to put them to work. And so here there's economic slavery. Their hard work wasn't getting them anywhere. Their hard work was made to get the Egyptians at a higher place. They use them as slave laborers. Pretty much what's happening here is we find the Egyptians are pretty much slave labor. In verse number eight, notice, or verse number 11, notice this heavy language is afflict them uh, with their burdens. In verse number five, 12, we find that same, they afflicted them. Verse number 14 uh, was with rigor. This is giving us the indication this was not easy labor. This is hard work. This is backbreaking work. In Egypt, Pharaoh, the Egyptians are putting this on the Israelites, hoping to stop them. In everything they try to do, God is doing the opposite. You know what I learned here? This? You can't fight God. 
You can't fight God. In Christians, God's people can't blame circumstances for things that don't go their way in their life. Because nothing, no circumstance has more authority in your life than God has authority in your life. Pharaoh never had more authority in in the Israelites' life than God's authority. God said what? Be fruitful and multiply. Pharaoh said, oh, no, you're not. And Israel was fruitful and multiplied because of their obedience. So we find here the economic slavery. People of power always seem to abuse the weak for their divisive reasons or their devilish reasons. I, uh, this is one of these things that are just, I wish I could do more. I really do. I, I, I wish this was an area. I just don't have direction from God on what to do. But they say this, the number, the second, the second largest organized crime in the world today is human trafficking. The second largest organized crime, human trafficking. That is simply this, taking one human being and using them to better your economic condition. Selling them for either slave labor or selling them for perverse reasons. The second largest organized crime. And that's what's happening here at Egypt. Put that in perspective, and that is every reason for Israel to give up on God. If you found yourself in that situation, would obedience be what you were committed to? The reality is this. We as Christians, we've quit on a whole lot less. We've accused God on a whole lot less. We've thought about quitting and giving up and getting discouraged. Israel finds herself in this place. And they're obedient. And we see God multiplying them. We, um, we find here, let me just pause here as well. We find here that God's people should aim to glorify him by imitating his character. If you, were, if you were treated this way by somebody, what is the natural reaction? We were on, my, Michelle and I were, I don't know, we were coming back from visiting somebody, I think, at the hospital, and we were coming down 475 here, and they're doing construction. And I was getting on the highway, and the, the traffic is crawling. I mean, it's, it's, it's crawling. This lane gets into this lane. You know, this guy goes, you know the, the deal. So it's my turn to just get in. And so the guy in front of me went ahead and I go to get in. And this car pulls up next to me, not letting me in. He's only going to go and sit one car in front of me. He would not let me in. And I thought, oh, he just doesn't see me. And, I, and then he lays on his horn. Well, that did it. I mean, that... that I mean, it starts in my feet and comes up, and, and, I, and I thought to myself, I'm going to stop this car, and Michelle's going to get out, and you're going to be sorry, you know? You're going to see all of four foot 11 get out of this car. And, and Michelle reaches over and puts her hand on my 
hand. I think she felt it coming as well. And she said, we don't act like him. And I looked at her and said, you might not, but I am right now. <laughs> no, I didn't say that. How easy is it to respond to people? How they respond to you. God's people are not to respond to people that way. God's people are to respond by imitating his character. And I want to show you this. If I could have a couple of people help me here. Psalm 99.4, if someone would just get there, Razor, who, who would find that? Psalm 99.4. Okay, Slim, would you do that? Psalm 103.6, would you do that? Psalm 103.6, and then Psalm 146, 7 through 9. Who wants to read three verses? Tim, would you do that? Okay. So Psalm 99.4, if you'll read that nice and loud, Slim. The king's strength also loveth judgment. Thou dost establish thee and protect thee. Thou executest judgment and righteousness in Jacob. Okay. So he, he loveth judgment. He executes righteousness and judgment in Jacob. Okay. Psalm 103, verse 6. Okay, so all those that are oppressed, he executes righteousness and judgment. Okay, who do we have? Psalm Psalm one oh one forty six seven through nine. Which executes judgment for the oppressed, which giveth blood to the hungry. The Lord looseth the, the prisoners. The Lord openeth the eyes of the blind. The Lord raiseth them that are bowed down. The Lord loveth the righteous. The Lord preserveth the strangers. He relieveth he relieveth the fatherless and widow. But the way of the wicked, he turneth upside down. All right, so what we find through these verses is this. There's a way that God shows God's character how he deals with people. He helps the down and out. He, he, he encourages those that need encouragement. He's, he, he, does righteous, he does judgment with righteousness. Turn with me to Deuteronomy chapter number 10, if you would, please. God instructs his people to act for others the same way he acted on their behalf in the book of Exodus. We find, how did Israel, how did Egypt act toward Israel? How many of you would say they acted wrong toward Israel? Of course they did. Put them into slavery. They, they, they treated them like slaves. They put, a, put, put um, uh, political uh, slavery on them, put economic slavery on them. And this is what God says to do. God instructs his people to act for others the way he acted on their behalf. Where do we find that? In verse number 18 of Deuteronomy chapter number 10, we find this. He doth execute the judgment of the fatherless and the widow and loveth the stranger in giving him food and raiment. So what do you say there? The stranger that you don't know, you feed them. When they're naked, you clothe them. He says in verse number 19, look at this. Love ye therefore the stranger, for ye were strangers in the land of Egypt. You know what he's saying there? Don't treat them like you were treated. That's no excuse. You can't then treat the person the way they treated you. God's people treat other people the way God would treat you, not the way others have treated you. Boy, that's a tough way for a Christian to live. If anybody had an excuse to be disobedient, if anyone had an excuse to do wrong, if anybody had an excuse to say, this is pathetic and I'm not putting up with this, it's Israel. 
but they're obedient the entire time. And through bondage and through this burden they're carrying, God says, because you're obedient, I'm going to multiply you. Because you're trusting in me, I'm going to continue to, to, to multiply you and bless you. And then he says this, and oh, by the way, don't treat others the way Egypt treated you. Because what you're doing is you're showing people who I am. We're not bringing glory to Egypt. We're bringing glory to God. And so what God is doing in the life of Israel, he is preparing them for this great and mighty nation that he's going to give them. But what he's doing is he's preparing their heart. He's preparing them to show them, even in face of uh, controversy, in face of problems, in face of difficulties, I am still God. I can still bless you. Obedience is what I'm after. Don't blame the circumstances for not obeying God. Don't blame the people for not obeying God. You do right no matter what your circumstances are. You treat others right no matter what, how they treat you. Why? Because you're my children. That's what makes us distinctly different than Egypt, is we are God's children. We, um, my, my daughter Mackenzie, don't tell her I told you this, but we call her Kathy every once in a while because my mom's name is Kathy and she acts just like my mom. I mean, just like my mom. To the place where even, even the kids will be like, Kathy, you're acting like Kathy now. And I'll say, that's grandma to you. <laughs> you know, Kenzie says, I can't help it. You know why she can't help it? Because she's my daughter. And I'm the son of my mom. And therefore, she has our genes. Do you ever notice this? A kid doesn't have to be taught to have a facial expression or a walk or a certain saying. They can just pick up stuff from their parents just because they're their parent. Because that's who they belong to. If my kids ever started acting like the neighbor's dad, I'd think there's something wrong here. Right? And I would say, you're not the neighbor, you're our kids. And what God is showing the children of Israel is this, obedience is what's paramount. And you can't blame circumstances for not being obedient. My blessings come despite bad circumstances. My blessings come because of obedience. And then what he find, we find is this. God is telling his people, behave like my character, not like the people I treat you. You know what the most miserable Christian is? The one that behaves like the world. You ever see a Christian who's going through trial after trial and you say, how can they have so much joy? Because what they're showing is God's character. They're trusting in their father, not behaving like they were behaved toward. Isaiah 1, 17. Uh, let's go there real quick here. Isaiah 1, 17. We're going to find this. The Bible says this of God's character. He says, learn to do well. He's speaking to his people. Learn to do well. Seek judgment. Relieve the oppressed. Judge the fatherless. Plead for the widow. You know what he's saying there? Help those that have a need. Don't ever get to a place in life where life becomes about you. Life always becomes about showing the character of God. And what does God do? God always wants to redeem. God always wants to restore. 
Egypt wanted to oppress. God wanted to restore. Egypt wanted to put into bondage. God wanted to bless. And God said to his children as he's growing this nation, as he's taking them from Abraham to Jacob to 70 to 2.4 million, what he says is this, there's a way that I want my people to behave and I want my people to behave so when someone sees you, they say that's what the character of God looks like. That's not something they picked up in Egypt. That's something that only comes from being a child of God. And so we find God saying, I want you to feed the, those that are hungry. I want you to clothe those that are naked. I want you to plead for the widow in Isaiah 58. Turn there with me, please. Isaiah 58. God's still speaking to Israel. And he says this in verse number six, Isaiah 58, verse number six. Is not this the fast that I have chosen to loose the bands of wickedness, to undo the heavy burdens and to let the oppressed go free, and that ye break every yoke? Is it not the deal thy bread to the hungry, that thou bring the poor that are cast out to thy house? He says, aren't you supposed to take the people that have nothing and bring them into your own home and feed them? I didn't give you food for you to eat. I gave you food for you to feed. He says, when thou seest the naked, that thou cover him, and that thou hide not thyself from thine own flesh. Here's God asking the question, didn't I teach you this? Didn't you understand that every blessing I have, remember the blessing that came to Abraham wasn't then, wasn't just this, I will multiply you. The blessing was this, I will bless those that bless you. I'll feed those that bless you. I'll cover those that bless you. Nations will be blessed because they chose to bless my children. You see how God is? God's desire was to redeem. God says, I'm going to use Israel as an example that I want to redeem all mankind. I want through Israel, I want the people to see that this is God's chosen people. I want them to see God's blessing so that they too want my blessing as well. And through blessing Israel, they receive God's blessing upon themselves. You see, God is after redemption of all mankind. His desire, the Bible says, is that he's not willing that any should perish, but all to come to repentance. God, from the beginning of man, when man fell, God's purpose was to redeem mankind. And God chooses a people that he wants the world to see behave like him. Now, God, now New Testament church, here in New Testament age, those to the Gentiles, when salvation came to the Gentiles, we now are called the sons of God, the Bible says. And so there ought to be a character that we live and a character we show that the lost world sees there's something different because of who we are. So that what? So that the lost world could be redeemed back to God. See, it's not about us getting something. It's not about us being a child of God so that I have. It's about being a child of God so that I have an opportunity to give so that the world has the same blessings that I have and others know Christ. And so that's what we see here through the book of Revelation, this redemption, the need for redemption. And then C is social slavery. Not only was there political slavery, no longer uh, also economic slavery, but in verse number 15, 15 of Isaiah, or, or, or Exodus chapter number one, I'm sorry, I'll get it out here. Exodus chapter one, verse number 15. 
I didn't think we could get all this from 15 verses so far, huh? Hold on, we got 10 weeks to go. Verse number 15. And the king of Egypt spake to the Hebrew midwives, of which the name of the one was Phorah, and the name of the other was Pura, Pua. And, she, and he said, when ye do the office of a midwife to the Hebrew women, and see them upon the stools, if it be a son, then ye shall kill him. But if it be a daughter, then she shall live. But the midwives feared God. It did not uh, uh, as the king of Egypt commanded them, but save the men child alive. And the king of Egypt called for the midwives and said unto them, why have you done this thing and have saved the men ch children alive? And the midwives said unto Pharaoh, because the Hebrew women are at, not as the Egyptian women. <laughs> he says, the Egyptian women, they're, they're wimpy. The Hebrew children, look what he calls them. He says they're lively. And they deliver ere the midwives come unto them. He says, by the time we get there, they've had the babies. These are like, like manly women. I mean, these are tough women. He said, she, he, Pharaoh says, you're supposed to kill them. Why aren't they dead? What God blesses, man can't destroy. They can't get there fast enough. Now these Hebrew women are having babies so quick. We can't even do what you've asked us to do. Now, the midwives did not desire to do what Pharaoh was asking them to do. But God didn't even give them an opportunity. Why? Because God is after redeeming mankind. What was God going to do? God was going to send a person to, to draw Israel uh, out of Egypt. He was going to send a deliverer. Isn't that ironic? When Jesus was born, there was a king that said, I want you to go and kill all the babies that are two years old and down. You see, what God tried to do is God said, I'm going to send a deliverer. I'm going to send a savior. Evil tried to stop that. But it has no match against God. Evil tried to stop Pharaoh. Uh, Pharaoh's tried to stop uh, Moses from being born. But God always blesses obedience. Do you see that in these first few verses here in uh, Exodus? God always blesses obedience. How many times have we chosen to do what we thought was right based upon the circumstances? Only to be wrong. God gave his word and we need to rely and be obedient to his word, not anything, any circumstance, or any fear, or any problem that we're facing. Because if we just make decisions based upon problems and based upon fear, we have the strong possibility of missing what God wants to do in our life. No matter what Pharaoh tried to do, he was not stronger than God. He said, I'm going to put him to task, political slavery, economic slavery. And now he says, I'm going to put him under social slavery. Listen to what this king did. The king of Egypt initiated a state-sponsored genocide. Could you imagine in today's world right now, if a leader of a country said, every baby I'm going to kill, that's an immigrant or that's here as a refugee, I'm going to kill their babies. 
See, put it in perspective, we would say, that's who could allow such a thing? That's what Pharaoh was doing. This is a state-sponsored genocide. This is social slavery. Matthew 2.16, the liver who, 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 who uh, uh, was our deliverer, Jesus Christ, he found being born under the same circumstances. But what do we find? We find that God, God blessed obedience. He blessed obedience. Think about the fear that these mothers lived in for nine months, only to find out the fate of their baby the day that baby was born. They still did right. God said what? I'll bless them that bless you, and I'll what? Curse them that curse you. Look with me in Exodus chapter number four. Exodus chapter number four. In verse number 23. And I say unto thee, let my son go, that he may serve me. And if thou refuse to let him go, even I will slay thy son, even thy firstborn. Pharaoh said this, I'm going to stop Israel from growing. He thought he could stop God's blessing. And so what did he do? He cursed Israel by saying, I'm going to kill your babies. What was the last plague that God used against uh, Egypt? Killed the firstborn. Male child. What did he use to save all of the Israelite babies? The blood. The Passover. The Passover, what it shows is the redemption, God's redemptive plan. The blood saved the children from death. When the blood was applied, the death angel passed by. If the blood wasn't applied, the child died. He killed the, he not only killed the babies, listen, the, the firstborn of the cattle died, right? Everything died. What did God say? If you bless me, I'll bless you. He says to Jacob, Jacob, this promise is given to you. If you're obedient, do what I say. If you are fruitful and multiply, I'm going to bless you. Jacob was fruitful and multiplied. We've seen God's blessing. He said, I'm going to bless also those that bless you, and I'm going to curse those that curse you. We see that happening in this very first chapter. We find this, that God is going to bless Jacob for his obedience. He's going to curse Ex, uh, uh, Egypt for the way they're treating them. And then he says this in Isaiah, in Psalm, let me deal with judgment. You behave the way I behave towards you, toward those that have treated you wrong. You see what happens when we just let God be God? Instead of us trying to take God's place, have you ever tried to take matters into your own hands? Has anybody ever done that? Zeta laughed. You must have done it once. Isn't that just human nature? But we're not supposed to act like human nature. You know what God desired to do? He desired to get his people out of Egypt, and he desired to get Egypt out of his people. And God does the same thing with us. He desires to save us from this world, deliver us. And he desires to get the world out of us. We're supposed to act in a way to we show the character of God. 
So we see this social slavery. Passover. The Passover would forever remind God's people of God's redemption. And notice, notice the midwives here in verses 17 to 22. These women, by the time they got here, the babies were already born. Look what he did for them in verse number 21. And it came to pass because the midwife feared God that he made them houses. See, what's the significance of that? Pharaoh is the ruler. He's mighty. He can put you to death. Look what he's done to Israel. Because he chose, because he said so, Israel's in bondage. If a midwife disobeys Pharaoh, what do you think the type of life they're going to have? How do you think their economic situation would be? How do you think their social condition would be? How many of you think that they, Pharaoh would give them a raise? I had a, uh, I had a procedure done Monday, and uh, I was, uh, uh, they had to put me out. And the lady, the nurse in the recovery room was laughing at me, and um, she said, uh, um, she said, you, you, you remember when you were coming to what you told all the nurses? I said, I don't remember. Do I want to know? First time it happened, I told all the nurses that my wife makes me sleep on the couch because I snore, which isn't even true. I snore, but she doesn't make me sleep on the couch. So I don't know where that came from. And she's laughing. She says, yeah, on the way out of the operating room, the, uh, uh, the, you, you, you were coming to and, and you said to the nurses, nurses, you all did a great job today. I'm putting in for a raise for all of you. <laughs> so I gave all the nurses a raise. So if you have a happy nurse, it's because I gave him a raise. Pharaoh here had the opportunity to really, truly either give them a raise or take everything from them. And they disobeyed Pharaoh. And what did God do? He built them houses. God blesses obedience. All through this first chapter of Exodus, you know what I find? An opportunity to disobey. Every excuse you could find. All the excuses we use. And the people feared God more than they feared man. And God blessed them. What did he say? If, you bl if they bless you, I'll bless them. The midwives blessed Israel. And what did God do? He built them houses. Pharaoh, you can't take anything from these midwives because God's promise stands. Pharaoh, you can't keep your firstborn because God's promise stands. You see, if we trusted in God's promises, the way that we see here in Exodus chapter number one, well, things would be different. They had every excuse not to, and they still chose to. Isn't that a great lesson? Amen. Wonderful lesson. And so lastly, under this, um, under point number one there, spiritual slavery. God will deliver Israel so that they may worship him. 
all through this chapter, the reason why he's delivering them, he's not just delivering them from social slavery. He's not just delivering them from economic slavery. He's delivering them from spiritual slavery. What is his desire? His desire for Israel is the same desire for us today, to deliver us so that we can worship him. That's why this prosperity gospel, get saved and all your problems are going to go away. It's not biblical. God doesn't save you just so you have something. He saves you so we worship and give him something. Our lives ought to be lived so that the redemption we have through Christ that God gives us, how we show it is to worship back to him. He wanted not only to get the people out of Egypt, but he wanted Egypt to get out of them so that they would come to the wilderness and worship him. And so we find, we find the reason. God desires worshipers. He wanted Israel to make worshipers out of all nations. All nations through Israel are going to be blessed. And in that blessing, what does God get in return? Worship. That's what he's after. That's the purpose of redemption. Secondly here, and, and this is a lot quicker, I'm done, than the first. The, the mediator in redemption. We find the mediator in redemption. Secondly, we find the mediator in redemption. Verse number, chapter number two. And there went a man of the house of Levi and took to wife a daughter of Levi. That is Moses' mama and papa, both from the tribe of Levi. The woman conceived and bare a son. And when she saw him, that he was a goodly child, she hid him three months. And when she could not long, longer hide him, she took for him uh, of, the, of the ark bulrushes, dabbed them with slime and with pitch, put the child therein. She laid in the flags by the river's brink, and his sister stood afar off to wit what would be done to him. And the daughters of Pharaoh, the daughter of Pharaoh, came down to wash herself at the river and her maidens walked along the riverside. And when she saw the ark among the flags, she sent her maid to fetch it. When she had opened it up, she saw the child and behold, the babe wept and she had compassion on him and said, this is one of the Hebrews children. Then said his sister to Pharaoh's daughter, shall I go and call uh, to thee a nurse of the Hebrew women that she may nurse the child for thee? And Pharaoh's daughter said unto her, go. And the maid went and called the child's mother. And Pharaoh's daughter said unto her, take this child away and nurse it for me and I will give thee thy wages. And the women took the child and nursed it. And the child grew and, Pharaoh's, and, and she brought him into Pharaoh's daughter and he became her son and she called his name Moses. Moses. We find here the mediator in the redemption. In order for the to free people to worship, God raised up a mediator, a deliverer. That deliverer's na name was Moses. And so we find, first of all, in these first 10 verses, we find the birth of Moses. Very simply, the mediator the, in redemption, we find the birth of Moses. You ever, you ever think that things are falling apart? You ever things in your life, you just say, man, things are just falling apart. This is, I just don't understand. Remember God's providence. When you think things are falling apart, it might be God putting things into place. Here, Moses' mother hid that baby. You know what I thought is interesting? She couldn't even watch what was going to happen. She said to Miriam, go watch. 
His sister watched from afar off to see what would come of the child. Because mama was probably back home saying, I've tried for three months to hide this baby and I couldn't. I've done my best. Probably couldn't watch what was going to happen. But what God's doing in one person's life when they think it's falling apart, God's putting the pieces together. And God put the baby in the water at the same time that Pharaoh's daughter was going to be there. And Pharaoh's daughter saw this baby and had compassion. And then Pharaoh's mama, or or Moses' mama, got paid to be his mama. Isn't that something? Pharaoh's daughter named Moses, named him Moses. You know what that name Moses means? Who can guess? To draw out. She named him what God was going to use him for. (laughs) You think she had that planned? God said, my timing is right. She said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to name him Moses means to draw out. And God says, you know, I'm going to use you for Moses to draw my people out of Egypt. It's all in God's providence. It's all in God's plan when we trust him. So we saw the birth of Moses. Then we saw the growth of Moses. Chapter 2, verses 11 through 15. We saw the, birth, the growth of Moses. Not much is said about Moses. There's a lot of correlation here between Jesus and Moses. Number one, they were born to um, uh, uh, rescue their people, save their people. They both (laughs) sojourned in Egypt. Remember Joseph went down into Egypt? Moses started in Egypt. There were silent years before their public ministry. You don't hear a whole lot of them. Moses spent 40 years preparing for his ministry in the backside of the desert, and Jesus spent 40 days preparing for his ministry in the desert. Jesus went to a high mountain to preach the Sermon on the Mount, and Moses went to the mountain to receive the law of God. You see, when God's working and God's doing something, it always works out, even when man tries to resist it. And then, then we find here letter C. Letter C is we find the flight of Moses. We find the flight of Moses from chapter 2, verses 15 through 22. And I'm not taking the time to read all these only because I know you know the story here. But M- Moses kills a Egyptian. Moses thought that the people were going to appreciate that. And instead, they said, what are you going to do, kill us? Like you killed that Egyptian? Moses said, "Uh uh-oh, they know what I did. He thought no one knew. And Pharaoh found out, and he had to flee for his life. And we we see the flight of Moses. Now, what's interesting here, look with me in Genesis chapter number 25, all part of God's plan. Genesis chapter 25. Uh, Let me, keep your finger there. Find Genesis chapter number 25. And then um, put your finger there. Go back to uh, Exodus chapter number 2 for me. I want to read you something here. 
the uh, person now, the priest of Midian had seven daughters. You see that in verse number 16 of chapter two, the priest of Midian had seven daughters. They came and drew water and filled their troughs to water of their father's flock. This is, if we were to read on, we would find that the, uh, this is one of the daughters that Moses married, right? The priest of Midian. Where does the priest of Midian come from? I want you to see where the priest of Midian comes from in Genesis chapter number 25 and verse number two. Well, let's start in verse number one. Then, then again, Abraham took a wife and her name was Keturah. When, when was this? When did he take a wife? When did he take Keturah? After Sarah's death, okay? So he, Abraham got remarried after Sarah died. How many of you knew that? It says right there, chapter 25. Then again, Abraham took a wife and she bare him Zimram and, and, and all these great names, okay? Um, in verse number two, she bare him Zimram and Jokshan and Medan and Midian. God gave Abraham a wife. Abraham had these children who Moses married. That's where Midian came from. You find it right here. Midian uh, in verse number two. Then, so we find, you say, where did this, where did this people come from? Came from, came from the fourth son of Abraham by a second wife. And so that's where the, that's who Moses married from that, from that tribe. And what did God say? If you bless Israel, I'll bless you. God allowed this group to be a part of a blessing. Why? Because when Moses was running from Pharaoh, they took him in. They blessed him. They gave him a daughter. And this daughter, in their seed, Moses had a child. And that seed was able to go into the promised land because of their blessing Moses. And so then last, then lastly here, um, uh, or second to last here, the, the God's motive of redemption. We find that in verse number 23, chapter two, verse 23. And it came to pass in process of time that the king of Egypt died and the children of Israel uh, sighed by reason of the bondage and they cried and their cry came unto, the, uh, unto God by the reason of the bondage and God heard their groaning and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac and with Jacob and God looked upon the children of Israel and God had respect unto them. And so we find the, the motive of God redemption the the motive is he looked upon them with favor he remembered what his promise he said i promised and i'll never forget it even when the pharaoh died and the people cried even louder lord we're in bondage god still remembered them and so I'm going to bring you out because of his name sake and then last is the mission the mission of the redeemed. The mission of the redeemed. This is just application, I believe, that we can find here. The mission of the redeemed, those that are redeemed, those that are taken out of bondage, they're to care for the urgent physical needs of others, and they're to care for the urgent spiritual needs of others. Because that's what God does. God, through his mercy and God, through his grace, sought to redeem them. He cared for their 
physical needs and he cared for their spiritual needs. What did God do, and we'll see here in the weeks to come, what did God do with the children when they moved into the wilderness? You know, they're, they walked around the wilderness and their shoes never wore out. Wouldn't that be nice, ladies? Have a pair of shoes for 40 years, look like brand new from the time you first got it. Yeah. Food every day, a pillar of cloud, pillar of fire, quail. Could you imagine the amount of food that fell from heaven to feed 2.4 million people? And it happened every day. We were at the ball game the other night and there was birds everywhere. I mean, every, there was birds everywhere. Could you imagine enough birds, Neil, to feed 2.5 million people quail? Imagine what that would look like. It was always there. Every time they woke up, that, cl- pillar, that cloud was there to keep them protected. Every time they looked up at night, that pillar of fire was there to keep them protected. They tied those sandals and they looked as new as the day they got them. God cares for the physical need. And we need to respond like God. And I believe this. That's why it's so important for us to care for the physical needs of others. Because it gives us an opportunity to care for the spiritual needs of others.